0: Hi there. How you doing? Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, contrary to the uh, bad information that's been going out, today's my 39th birthday, not my 40th. A lot of bad information. I feel like I'm watching a political debate. A lot of weird facts going out. Uh, But no, like one of my best friends, I, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. Um, he texted me this morning. He texted me right before the service and said, uh, Hey, happy birthday. Uh, welcome to the club. Like, cause he just turned 40. I'm like, I'm not in your club, old man. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, but I'm not in that club. I'm in the, uh, Norman either hair, the hair club for men. Um, I'm, uh, I'm in the 39 club, which, uh, is where I plan on staying. So anyway, that's that, um, but anyway, some of you know, but thank you for the birthday wishes. I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, I grew, most of you know I grew up in a typical Cuban home, um, which means pork was one of our four food groups. Um, I was hit with a chancleta more times than I'd like to admit. And um, all of our furniture was covered in plastic. Okay? My parents, but my, my mom and my stepdad were really... Serious about the, the, the plastic on the furniture. In fact, we even had plastic on one of the lampshades. Like there was two, we had these two lamps. That we had plastic on both of them. The only time we took the plastic off was the day we threw out the lamp. And I'm like, well, what's the point if you're gonna? Anyway, it doesn't even make any sense. Well, anyway, um, they were like they were very particular about this uh, this furniture. So you could sit on it, but if you moved around too much, they're like hey, you're out. Sit on the floor. And uh, and I'm like, I'm just trying to get comfortable. No. You're roughhousing. You're out. Sit on the floor. I mean, they were just very serious about that. And uh, so, and, you know, I grew up in Boston. And so uh, our home uh, didn't have, like, central air conditioning, which I know is like, like, how does that even happen? Do, do they even, did that even, was there ever a time where air conditioning didn't exist? Um, but anyway, we didn't have air conditioning uh, in our in our house, like central air. Um, so in the summer, I mean, it would be, you know, 100 degrees out and... Um, you know, we would just sit on like, you know, we wear a t-shirt and a pair of shorts, and we would sit on this furniture covered in plastic, and we'd be sweating so much that when we got up, it was like it was like a fruit roll-up, you know, coming up off of it. And, uh, but I remember the first time, I remember the first time, it was the summer of uh, 1984, and uh, I remember that it was the first time that my mom ever let me stay home alone. And uh, she was going up to the store, which is a couple blocks away to pick up something at the grocery store, and she said, uh, I was 11. And she said, do you want to stay? Uh, do you want to stay home or do you want to come with me? And I was like, I will stay home, you know. And uh, so it was like kind of my first big test of responsibility. So she left and the first thing that I did uh, was I ran upstairs. I got my Van Halen 1984 album, which had just come out. It was the record album album. If you don't know what that is, I gotta, we have, this is a whole another sermon. Um, anyway, so, uh, so I get it and I put it on the turntable. And see, you didn't even have to be a rapper back then to have a turntable. You, could just, uh, you just had one to play your stuff. So anyway, um, I put on my Van Halen album and I start jumping on the furniture. I'm playing their hit song, which had just come out, called Panama. And uh, I'm doing my best Eddie Van Halen air guitar impression. And as I'm jumping off the furniture, I hear slam. She forgot something. And uh, that's when things got ugly. And um, that's when, and my mom, uh, you know, she, I experienced another Van Halen song, same album, last song on the album, song called House of Pain, uh, right after that. And uh, now here's my problem. My problem is I didn't know she was coming back so soon. Had I known I wouldn't have been messing around or goofing off if I knew that his, her return was near. The same thing is true for us as Christians. You see, one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is that Jesus is coming back. And uh, over and over, we're told about this. About the return, the conditions, the environment, the uh, signs, everything that's going to be happening at the time of the return of Jesus. And so Jesus even told us, he said, right, in, in John 14, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, you believe also in me. And if I go away, I go to prepare a place unto you. Because in my Father's house there are many mansions. And so I will go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again, receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. In fact, the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the reality of Jesus' return, was the mark. It um, it, It was the thing that marked these disciples, these followers of Jesus. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was betrayed... That night, when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened? They all left. They took off. All of his disciples fled and scattered after Judas betrayed him. When Jesus was on trial, Peter, the guy who said, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. Even if I have to die for you, I'll die for you. This girl comes up to him this 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 little servant girl and says, "Hey, aren't you one of his disciples?" Oh, no, no, you got me mistaken for somebody else. And then there's this and then she says, "No, no, no. You're Galilean. Your accent gives you away. You are one of his disciples." And the guy, Peter starts calling down curses on himself saying, "I do not know this man." You know the story, the rooster crows, but then something happens. Jesus dies. 3 days later he rose again. And these scaredy cat, wimpy disciples are absolutely revolutionized and changed because the man that they saw die was now alive and the man that they saw alive had ascended into heaven and had given them a promise that, hey, I'm going up, but I'm coming back. And so go into all the world and make disciples. But see, even that... um, Jesus tells them that, go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. Okay, and then Jesus ascends to heaven, and here's what they do. They just watch. He's coming back. Have we gone into all the world yet? Nope. Shouldn't we do that? Well, he just went to get something. Just forgot his keys or something. And he doesn't come back, so much so that two angels have to appear. I put it in your notes that they say, hey, this, you know, men of Galilee, why are you standing here watching the heavens? This same Jesus that you saw ascend will descend, will come back just as you saw him. And here's here's the deal. He's coming back in the same way. And this is the moment that marked these disciples because they saw a dead man come back to life. And they saw that resurrected man ascend to heaven with the promise that he was coming back. I believe one of the healthiest ideas you can live with in your mind as a Christian is the one that Jesus could come back today. In fact, this section of 1 Thessalonians that we're going to cover is proof of that fact as we study it. So if you're here and you're discouraged, can I just tell you you picked the perfect day to be here? Uh, If you're here and you're going through a tough time, you you picked the perfect place to be today. Man, if you are here and you are confused about the future, uh, and you're like, man, where are we headed? Where are we headed as a country? Where are we headed as a, the, where's the world going? You, you picked a perfect, you, I mean, you're in the right place. If you came and you brought me a birthday gift, you are in the right place. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just making sure you're awake. Um, but listen, if you're wondering, man, can things get any worse? I mean, things just keep going from bad to worse. Can they get any worse? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family and the people that I love and care about? Listen, you are in the right place because these are the very same things that the Thessalonians were struggling with. The very same questions that they had, that they were asking Paul, that Paul now writes this letter and responds to them that, hey, this is, this is the truth. These are the words that will comfort you, that will encourage you and strengthen you as you walk in this world. Well, here's what happens and uh, We're going to start in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, so please open your Bibles or open your Bible app or whatever you've got. Um, if you've brought a scroll, open that too. Um, uh, we're 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, here's what we read. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that, he, that I want you to note is that Paul writes this, um, that there's certain things that we shouldn't be ignorant of, because if you're, if you're taking note, I want to tell you four things that the return of Jesus should do in your life and in mine. The first thing is this, is that the return of Jesus should inform how I live. It should inform how I live instead of being ignorant in this topic, we should be informed in this topic. Now, I will readily admit that there are certain topics that I want to be completely ignorant about. Um, Like I'll give you an example. The other day, my wife uh, was reading an article on the condition of factories that manufacture hot dogs. And so she's reading this and she's like, oh, oh. And, And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yes. But do you know how many bugs and hair and bacteria are allowed per 100 hot dogs? And I'm like, no, and I don't want to know. Yeah, but you like hot dogs, Bob. Yes. And I want to continue liking hot dogs. I don't want to know. I don't want to know about rat hairs, bacteria, dead animals. I don't want to know. I just want to live. I want to eat my Hebrew national in peace. All right. I just want to eat with a clean conscience. And I don't want the facts to confuse that. All right. And, uh, But listen, while there are some cases where maybe being ignorant on something is okay, Bible prophecy is not one of them. In fact, there's a lot of confusion today about Bible prophecy. There's a lot of confusion about the second coming. In fact, there's four... Do you know this? In the the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in the letters, the 13 epistles that he wrote, there's four things that he says to us, don't be ignorant about this. If you're a note taker, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the schemes of Satan. In Romans chapter 9, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the coming of the Lord, the rapture. You know what I find very interesting? You know what are the four topics that Christians are most confused about? Spiritual gifts, spiritual warfare, Israel, and the rapture. Now, why is it important for us um, to not be ignorant and instead be informed is because of this is the whole reason that Paul writes this. And you'll see this in the verses that we just read in the next set of verses. And even as we venture into chapter five in today's study, that he says the same thing, that the idea of the coming of the Lord should bring us comfort and hope. It should bring us comfort and hope, not panic not sorrow. Instead, because if we aren't aware of God's plan, we will sorrow like those who don't have hope. The, uh, the believers in Thessalonica were worried. Here's what they were worried about. And, and that's what he says in the verses that we read. He says that I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. You see, there were believers, people that they loved and care about, who had died. And they had died, and they're like, man, they, they missed the rapture. What's going to happen to them? I mean, they're just, it's done. It's over with. And what the Apostle Paul wants to share with them, they weren't aware about the hope of heaven that awaits every believer beyond this life. They were unaware of what happens in, at the rapture of the church, of what happens when Jesus returns for those of us who are still alive when that takes place. That a person, when listen, when if you don't make it to the rapture, can I just tell you this? If you don't, if, whenever that is, and I'm, we're not going to assign a date or a time to it, unfortunately. Um, but there's if, if you if you or I don't make it to the rapture, here's what we can be assured of. When we take our last breath on planet Earth, our next breath will be in the presence of God. That we are going to spend eternity with him. That listen, when a loved one says goodbye on this planet, they go to be with the Lord and uh, they take that they, the, they enter into eternity with him. You see, because you got to understand, there's more to us, to you, to me. There's more to us than just the physical body that we have. You see, your physical body, that's how we relate to each other, but that's not the real you. The real you is spirit. The real you is when God gives, gave Adam the breath of life. He breathed into it and it says that now he became a living spirit. You see, the real you is that spirit, it, it's the essence of who you are. It's not just your physical makeup of how tall you are and how much hair you have or not hair you have or whatever. It's none of those things. Instead, so when you say goodbye, when your body just gives out eventually, you go to be with the Lord. The Bible would say it this way in, uh, in your notes in Second Corinthians 5. It says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he's been a pastor for many years now. But uh, this guy, when he, um, when he came to know the Lord years ago, for the first two years of his life as a Christian, he had no idea that heaven existed. Like, I don't even know how you actually become a Christian without knowing heaven exists. But he became a Christian, and he's like, man, Jesus saved me, and it was awesome. It felt great to be forgiven, but I had no idea there was anything else beyond this life. I thought Christianity was like a good philosophy or something, but I didn't know that there was anything. And then he heard a message about heaven, and he was like, dude, this is awesome. I had no idea. It's like a kid being told about Disney World. It's like when my daughter, um, I remember when my daughter was two, and I explained to her what Halloween was. And she, you know, she said, I told her, I'm like, listen, there's a day that everybody dresses up and then you go to all the neighbor's houses and they all open the door and give you mounds of candy. And she's like, that's not true. <laughs> and I'm like, no, seriously, you know, we like at dusk or whatever, everybody goes out and you get a whole bunch of candy and, um, you know, you, you just knock it and everybody's happy. Everybody just gives you tons of chocolate and all the stuff you like. She's like, Bobby, are you being serious? Cause you shouldn't mess around about this stuff. And I'm like, listen. I don't mess around about candy. It's for real. Anyway, but it, it was like that. I mean, because to her, and I'm mean, like, well, and she's like, well, what if we go the next day? Well, the next day, everybody's going to go back to being normal and annoyed that you knock on their do- knocked on their door. Um, but this day, everybody's excited. And the reality of heaven for us is the, is the reason why we don't have to sorrow like those who have no hope. A person who has no hope, when he says goodbye, he's saying goodbye and it's final. You see, when we say goodbye, It's not final. When we say goodbye, it's more like I'll see you later. Because there's coming a time, and listen, and and let me just say that we can take this to an extreme, and I've I've done enough funerals and officiated enough uh, funerals to hear well-meaning Christians saying, hey, you shouldn't cry because they're in heaven. And uh, no, 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 no. It's like, yeah, and and this has been my response to them. is like, yeah, they're in heaven, but I'm not. They're in heaven, but I'm going to miss them. They're in heaven, but we're still stuck here for a while. And so because of that, because of that, listen, it's right and appropriate to cry. It's right and appropriate to express emotion. But the difference is we aren't sorrowing like people who have no hope. Instead, we sorrow because we're going to miss that person for a season. But that person that we said goodbye to, that person who was suffering and in pain, they're not in pain anymore. That person who was suffering and, and, and it's like, man, they, 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 were, they were debilitated by an illness or disease or by this thing that happened. Listen. Here's what the Bible says, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. And when we see them, we are not going to see them in the state that we said goodbye to them. We are going to see them and they are going to be restored and whole and well and healthy and in the presence of God as we are going to be. And that's why, listen, this idea of Jesus' return should inform how I live and how you live and how we live because we don't have to sorrow like someone who doesn't have any hope because we have hope in the Lord. Paul goes on in verse 15 and here's what he says. He says, For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you pause there and give me your attention, um, Paul's here talking about this is what the rapture is going to look like. So the second thing that I want to tell you, which is what he says here, and that is that Jesus' return should not only inform how I live, but Jesus' return should comfort my heart. It should comfort my heart and comfort your heart. Now I want you to notice what Paul does. He's not like, uh, he's not like na- giving dates and times, and he's going to tell us in the next couple of verses that nobody knows the day or the hour. But I don't, even have to, I don't have to write you about times and seasons. You know how that kind of how that stuff works. You know, w- funny enough, it was last year today. Um, if you remember Harold Camping, um, the guy who predicted that May 21st the rapture was going to happen, and then it didn't happen, so he had to recalculate, and then it, he said it was going to be October 21st, uh, which was be my was my 38th birthday, which I was pretty excited about. I was hoping that it was that day, although because he made the prediction, it really annoyed me, because Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, so because he made the prediction, it couldn't be that day, and then, so that was a real bummer, because I'm telling you, like, this would be awesome to, like, have the rapture on your birthday, eat a bunch of bad stuff, birthday cake, and you don't even have to worry about calories, because it's like, it's going down right now, you don't have to worry about it, so, but, uh, you know, somebody saw Harold Camping recently, and he looked real sad. Someone came up to him and said, hey, cheer up, man. Whatever it is, it's not the end of the world. And um, so it's pretty good. This side of the room laughed. This side, I don't know what's going on with you. I'm giving you guys my best stuff here. And uh, I don't know what's going on. At least least humor me as I am humoring you. Uh, So anyway, you guys are on notice, all right? I'm watching you the rest of this message. You guys, keep it up. All right. Thank you. Treat yourself to an extra donut on the way out. It's on me. All right. Uh, do we sell those donuts? I don't even know if I'm giving stuff away. Have a book from the bookstore. Uh, so, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, anyway, uh, that all may be revoked by the time you leave. But uh, anyway, what am I talking about? What do, hello. What, what am I teaching? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. The rapture, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that should comfort us and excite us at the same time. One of the reasons that I love keeping up with current events, and my wife gets so frustrated because I'm so into politics and uh, like I know the names of, you know, so and so who's on whatever committee. It's like this is a sickness, Bob. Uh, and it's I, I love it for totally different reasons than most people. Most people because they think that it's all going to change depending on what guy gets in or whatever. I get excited because listen, I just I see what God is doing. I see how how as. Things keep moving that it's just preparing us for the conditions of the world that the Bible talks about when this rapture, when the second coming is going to happen. So how does it work? I mean, how, how, how will the rapture happen? I mean, it says it's the twinkling of an eye, it's, it's the sound of a trumpet, and we're all out of here. beaming me up, Scotty. So, but how does it actually work? To understand the rapture and how Jesus returns to the church, we have to understand the drama of the ancient Jewish wedding. The Jewish wedding consisted of three parts. Number one, the engagement. It wasn't like an engagement now, get down on one knee, give her the biggest cubic zirconia you can find. Um, maybe that's just my story. Uh, <laughs> the, here's what happens instead a, uh, a, an engagement in a Jewish wedding was much less romantic. Um, it was the parents of these little kids that are five or six years old. And, uh, you know, you had a five or six year old son and I have a five or six year old daughter and we kind of get together and say, you know, you seem like a good family and uh, so when they're old enough, my daughter will marry your son and that sounds good. We shake on it and we're good. It was a transaction. But then what would happen after the engagement would be the betrothal and this is now when they're a little, they're a bit older now, maybe 10 years have passed and there would be a ceremony and the couple uh, would be considered married even though uh, they didn't live together or consummate their marriage yet. So they they were betrothed, and this period of betrothal would last about up to one year. The reason is, is that once the groom would pay, um, he would pay what was called the dowry. Now the dowry um, is a, a, uh, it was kind of like alimony in advance, I guess it's kind of the only way you can call it, uh, because here's what it is. A father... Who loved his daughter would set a price, and he would set the price based on his uh, uh, based on his love for her. So, you want to marry my daughter? This is what it's going to cost you. By the way, this is why divorce was almost like didn't exist in ancient Israel because like it's going to cost me so much money to do this again. So it's like, baby, you have no idea how much I paid for you. We are going to make this work, all right? Whether it kills us, and it just might. Um, and uh, so anyway, because your dad said no refunds. Um, so anyway. <laughs> Edit that from the tape, please. Um, uh, not that we use tape anymore. Uh, see, this is, I'm showing my age now. Uh, you know, back when I went to school, we, went, we walked both uphill both ways. Um, so anyway, you guys will get that later. Uh, this side of the room, you're killing me. Um, <laughs> he went to school. Uh, <laughs> clown college, but it's still school. Um, wow, nothing there. Okay. Um, too many in a row. Too many in a row. You have got to space them out. Um, so here's what, here's what happens. Once he would pay the dowry, he would pay the dowry. Then there would be this ceremony. He would give the dowry to the, the daughters, uh, this, you know, what would be his bride, her father, just in case it didn't work out. And he said he would send her back the, his things didn't work out in the marriage. He would send his, his, his wife back to her father's house. This dowry would then be what she was able to live on for the rest of her life. So that's why the price was usually high. But then the groom, after the ceremony, he would go back to his father's house. And he would build an addition onto his father's house. If you're from Hialeah, you totally get this. All right? Oh, yeah. We built like... We got like 10 efficiencies in the back of our house. All right? And... (laughs) There's so many jokes happening in my head right now. I just got to stop. I got to stop. So... So anyway... (laughs) Uh, That's good. Um, So... He would build an addition. Now, but here's the thing. If you were a 16, 17, 18 year old kid and you're, you just got married and you know, all you have to do to consummate your marriage is to build a house. Let's just say the kind of house that you probably build would not be a safe or it would not be very elegant. Let's just say it would probably be more of a tent or like some kind of weird dome. Like, honey, it doesn't matter. We'll live on love. You know, let's just get this going. And uh, and so anyway, so that's why in, in, you know, using wisdom, the father of the groom would decide when it's time. And so what would happen is, is that because of that, the son would start building a house and he would work day and night, every day, every night, take the Sabbath off. But then we would get back to it every day and every night. And usually what would happen in the stories that I've read um, is that. what would would happen is the son would be tirelessly working and right about the time that the house was done. I mean, usually the son was passed out on the floor from working 15, 16, 17 hour days, um, getting this house ready. He'd fall asleep with a hammer in his hand, trying to finish the building this house that the father would wake him up usually in the middle of the night and say, son, it's time to go get your bride. (laughs) Woo. Yeah, that's right. That's what he would say. We're going to get this thing going. And, uh, and so he would wake up. He would get his bri- the bridegrooms. They'd say, come on, guys, let's go. And uh, they would go to the, the, his, his betrothed's town. And they would sound a trumpet. And as they sounded the trumpet, he would then, and she, was, she would be there ready for this year. She was there. And, and her bridesmaids were there being vigilant, waiting, because she didn't want to be asleep when her groom showed up. And so when the trumpet sounded, she'd be awoken. Hey, I'm ready. She would come out. And then the groom and the bride would go away to the house that the groom had built for a seven-day honeymoon. And after this seven-day honeymoon, this couple would now be presented to the community together. And they would have what was called the marriage feast of the, uh, the, the marriage feast. Which that's the third part of the Jewish wedding. The engagement, the betrothal, and then the marriage feast. When everyone rejoiced and celebrated the union of this couple. And it was this week-long, amazing feast that people would have. Um, Now, let me explain to you how this plays out. And how the, the, the plan of God actually pictures the Jewish wedding perfectly. You see, Jesus is betrayed. He's tried and he dies on a cross. And here's what he says at the Last Supper. He says, this is my body, which is broken. This is my blood, which is shed for you. For you. He's paying the price. He's paying the price of sin. He's paying the price of the dowry. But what happens afterwards? He dies for us. He rises from the dead. He hangs around for 40 days. And then he ascends to heaven. And what does he tell them in John 14? He says, I quoted it earlier. He says, you believe in, don't be worried. Believe. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. But behold, I go to prepare a place for you. So that I may return again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And he's building the house. And that's why also Jesus tells them when they say, But what day is it going to be? He says, No man knows the day or the hour. My father only, just like in the Jewish wedding. But then there's coming a time, there's coming a moment, and nobody knows. And Jesus, talking about his return, he gives this parable talking about um, a bride and her bridesmaids being ready when the groom returns. And that, that there would be a moment that it was time, that there would be a, the blasting of a trumpet, just like what we read about in First Thessalonians, that at that moment the rapture will take place and Jesus will remove the church from planet earth, take us up to heaven to this house that he's been building for not a seven-day honeymoon, but a seven-year honeymoon. Why? Because there is business that God still has to do with Israel. There's seven years in what's called the great tribulation. Where God is going to pour out His wrath. You know all the stuff that happens? You know all the stuff that takes place? You're like, I can't believe that God just doesn't do something. You hear about a child that's abducted. You hear about people that are uh, injustices that take place. You hear about all these things that go on and it just makes your blood boil. And you say, when is God going to do something? This is the moment where God is going to pour out His wrath on a, on a Christ-forsaking, sinful world. And during that time, the church isn't going to be here. The church is going to be tucked away. And then at the end of those seven years, Jesus is going to appear with us. Here's what it says in Revelation 19. It's in your notes. He says, and now I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire. On his head are many crowns, and he had a name written so that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And in the, in the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And you say, man, that's us, by the way. All of us. At the, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to appear. Come down, wipe out his enemies. And you and I, he's on a white horse. We're on horses. You say, I don't know how to ride a horse. You will learn. All right. There's going to be lessons, apparently. And uh, so we're all going to learn. If we can do horse tricks, I don't know. But we're going to be able to at least ride it from heaven to here. And then what's going to happen is the marriage feast of the lamb, just like the Jewish wedding. Look at what he says, Revelation 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a multitude and the sound of many waters as the sound of of a of mighty thundering, saying, "Hallelujah!" For the Lord God Omnipotent reigns, and let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the uh, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Listen, here is what this means when we look at what's happening in our world and we just think, man, it just keeps getting worse. I mean, things, we think it's going to get better and it just keeps getting worse. I mean, how how does this happen? Can I just tell you this? That everything is going according to plan. Everything is going exactly the way that God is working it out. And if you think, man, I just get so nervous because I read about like Revelation 6 through 19 and the the judgments that are coming. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're not going to be here. You're out of here. And listen, we know that before it gets really bad on earth, that Jesus is coming back for us to remove us so he can deal with Israel. Because through this tribulation, what's going to happen? Israel is going to believe. They're going to come to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And Paul, as he's going to write, remember, don't be be ignorant about what God says about Israel, Romans 9. That's why at the end of it, he says, and all Israel will be saved. But he's got to remove the church, take care of that, and then deal with Israel, deal with this Christ-rejecting sinful world. And then after all of that comes together, Jesus comes back. We come with him. Marriage feast of the Lamb, new heaven, new earth, and we all live happily ever after. It's a great story, and it's true. That's the best part. Look at what he says in, verse, in chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing that I want to tell you about what the return of Jesus should do. Here's the third one. It should alert my senses. It should alert my senses. Uh, You see, when he talks about times and seasons, it's so difficult for us who live in South Florida to even talk about seasons. Because we don't have seasons. Right? I grew up in Boston. We have four seasons. Some of them are shorter or longer than we'd like them to be. But we have four seasons. Um, Here in in Florida, we don't have that. We have three. We have hot, hotter, and glimpses of hell. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Right? Um, that's why people get saved here at Calvary all the time. It's not about the preaching. It's like it is so hot outside. If hell is anything like that, I want no part of it. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, like I, I tell my wife, like I have this innate sense of the weather. Um, because I can tell it's raining before anybody else. My wife is so shocked by this. Like we'll be walking somewhere and I'll say, honey, we got to go. Why? It's raining. It's not raining. Yes. And then two minutes later, the downpour how did you know? And I said, always trust the bald man when it comes to rain. <laughs> I always know when it's raining. And, uh, see my wife doesn't have that because she's got enough hair for a family of five on her, uh, you know, and seriously, she's, she's got like so much hair. My daughter, um, who's, who's five. I mean, she, she's got like all this hair. The other day I was giving my daughter a bath. I washed her hair and I was brushing her hair and, uh, I wasn't doing it right. Apparently, and she's like, Mommy, Bobby's Paul, I'm doing it right. You know, so Carrie comes in and she's like, you know, she shows me and she's like, Bob, it's kind of like when you, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, baby, that's just rude, all right? And um, so, <laughs> but listen, when Paul says, I don't need to write to you about times and seasons because you can already see. You see, this is one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they didn't get it. They were looking for something totally different as a Messiah because they were looking for something political. They were looking for something that was... Uh, they were looking for military might. But that's not what the Bible talks about. Jesus would say these words to them. He would say when the Pharisees and Sadducees came testing him, asking if he would show them a sign from heaven, because this is one of the ways they're going to tell if, uh, if, the, uh, if he's the Messiah... It says, he said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You see, I'm guessing that most of us here have been to Disney World at some point in time. And uh, what, what I find interesting about the three or three and a half hour drive to Disney is that when you're in Dade or Broward County, there aren't very many signs for Disney, are there? You'll see the occasional billboard, but there aren't that many signs about, for Disney World. In fact, you don't really see any signs for the first hour, hour and a half. You get out of, you know, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, Port St. Lucie County. Maybe you see one or two signs, but, and then you see something called Yeehaw Junction. I have no idea what that is to this day, but I don't, I don't want a Yeehaw, that's for sure, and I don't want a junction. So I just keep going. Um, but then you get closer to Orlando, and you know what happens when you're within an hour of Orlando? The signs increase, the signs get bigger, the signs get like they're not just billboards now. The billboard's like coming at you. The billboard like grabs your car. Uh, you know the the, the the right. It's all this stuff happens. Every bus that you see has a Disney sign. You stop at one of the toll stops and there's like a, there's like a statue of Mickey Mouse there, right? There's not, you ever stop at one in Phoenix? There's no statue of Mickey Mouse. It's only the one that that's right near when you get into Orlando. And so the closer that you get, the stronger the frequency and the intensity of the signs. The same thing is true when it comes to the return of Jesus. The closer we get, to his coming the more the signs of his coming increase in frequency and intensity that's why we need to be we need to be watchful of the times and seasons because when we do we know the coming of the lord is at hand that's why paul says that the end times are like labor pains on a woman i mean it's just you know that The baby's coming when you're at at that that moment. The the contractions are getting stronger. They're increasing in frequency and intensity. You know that the baby's coming, right? I mean, we have three kids. Uh, We've had three kids. And when I say we, I mean mostly my wife. Um, But when she was getting ready to give birth, listen, we knew it was coming. We knew it was happening. Because at first, they're far apart. I mean, like those, oh, I got a contraction. When? Last week. Listen, when it's happening, they're like right on top of each other because it's, it's, it, the, the contractions are coming because the baby's coming. What Paul is saying is all of the signs will increase as the time gets closer. And that's why he says, I don't have to write to you about times and seasons. All you got to do is just look around. And we, you and I have a front row seat to the unfolding of this before our eyes. You know, one of the thing, the, the next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Right after that, And some scholars even argue as to whether this is going to happen before the rapture. And uh, I think there's good evidence on both sides. But here's the thing. What we do know is that the rapture is going to happen. And then there's this confederacy of nations led by Russia that are going to attack Israel. That are mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. And here's the thing. And against impossible odds, Israel is going to defeat this army. Because Israel will stand alone. And as they do stand alone, Israel will have victory and they will know that God uh, is with them. And uh, this is going to bring about a, a national revival in the country of Israel. You see, years ago, people thought this was impossible. Because the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, they hated each other. But now we talk about Libya, Russia, Iran... All these countries that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, now they all have alliances militarily, financially, scientifically. You know what these countries all have in common besides being mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39? All three countries were mentioned in last week's presidential debate. Interesting. And I can promise you that uh, they will, all three of them will be mentioned in tomorrow's uh, presidential debate on, on foreign policy. Absolutely. Why? Because this the signs are there. We just need to be watchful. And that's what Paul says lastly in uh, in verse 6. This is the last section. Let me read it to you. He says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. That's worth underlining but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are also doing. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing. What Jesus' return should do, it should assure my salvation. Assure my salvation that we are not appointed to wrath. We have a different appointment. We are appointed to receive salvation. We are appointed to something else. I had this experience this week that just totally illustrated that for me. Um, I was in California. Uh, Pastor John taught last week as I had a flight uh, Sunday morning to fly to California. I was teaching for three days at a conference um, in, uh, in, in Southern California. And um, one of the things that I had on my agenda, I was meeting a friend for dinner um, at one of it could be the most, but I would say one of the most exclusive restaurants in the world. Um, in fact, this is a restaurant that's called Club Thirty Three. Now, some of you who are like you're big, if you're a big Disney fan, you've heard of Club Thirty Three. Um, I've I've known about this for years, and I, this is one of these things like I, I thought, man, maybe someday I'd, I'd have the opportunity to go to this uh, to this restaurant. Club Thirty Three is a restaurant hidden inside of Disneyland. And uh, it's in Liberty Square. You know Liberty Square here in, D- in Magic Kingdom. It's where, um, you know, you go Hall of Presidents is there. Um, uh, Haunted Mansion uh, is there. A bunch of stuff there. And um, anyway, if you're walking, and this is not in Disney World, in uh, Magic Kingdom, but in Disneyland, you're, you're walking down one of these little streets, um, and there's no fanfare. All there is is a door, green door, that has the number 33 on it. And you just knock on the door at the time of your appointment. You open the door. Now, this, this was, um, you show your card that you're a member and you're allowed in with your guests. Um, and uh, this was Walt Disney's private dining room when he was alive and when he was, uh, he had an office there. And then he had a private dining room. It's called Club 33 because uh, when Disneyland started, there were 33 sponsors um, 33 companies that sponsored Disneyland. And this was kind of their, um, kind of a thank you was that they would be allowed to go in this private dining room. There are only 487 members of club 33 in the world. Uh, and my friend happens to be a member. He was on the waiting list for 15 years to get, to become a member. He just became a member like six months ago. He heard I was coming out and he said, Hey, let's go to club 33. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, whatever. No, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm there. Um, and uh, it, it's a crazy thing. It's an ultra-exclusive um, uh, restaurant to go to. Uh, the table next to us, um, if you're familiar with the actor Topher Grace, who was the star of, uh, he was Eric Foreman on That 70s Show. Uh, he was also uh, Venom in uh, Spider-Man 3. He was at the table next to us. Um, and, uh, but that, that's not even what was the coolest thing about that night. The coolest thing about that night is because we had this reservation, we, ha- we had been appointed to something. Um, there, we got all this VIP treatment. Um, so we pull up to, uh, the hotel there right next to Disneyland, uh, called the Grand Californian. We pull up to the Grand Californian and, um, I tell the girl at the valet, oh, I'm here, uh, with a Club 33 member for dinner. And she's like, oh, take me with you. And I'm like, sorry, I'm married. Um, and so, uh, but I'll bring you out a biscuit or something. Um, or, you know, like an appetizer or whatever. But anyway, so, they, oh, but you get free valet parking if you're um, a Club 33 member. And uh, so then I met my friend. He met me at the, at the valet thing. And then we walked in. Um, and he designed the, the Grand Californian. He's an architect. He, he designed the Grand Californian. He designed downtown Disney uh, there. And so he's kind of showing me, hey, this was five years of my life. That was five years of my life. And kind of explaining all this to me. And then... Um, we got to see, the, there's like all these cool little places in Disneyland that you can go to, like these little um, little hangout spots that you can't hang out in, unless, of course, you're a Club 33 member or you're with a Club 33 member. And so uh, there was like where everybody else was hanging out, and then there was like these really cool spots where we were hanging out, where Walt and Roy Disney used to hang out. And, um, and then we got, because we're Club 33, well, I say we, I mean he, but I'm there too, but I felt like a member. Um, and so we got fast passes to go into the new, into the new Cars Land. Um, they built like an entire, uh, you've seen the movie cars, I've seen the movie cars roughly about three or 400 times. Uh, cause my son is just like a total cars maniac. Um, well they built an entire section of Disneyland just devoted to cars and uh, we got to ride on the new cars ride. You ride in lightning McQueen, you go through the whole movie and all that. It was awesome. Everybody else had to wait two hours. We got on in just a few minutes and they're like, people are like, Hey, what about them? And I'm like, Hey, slow down, buddy. We don't wait with the mere mortals. All right. Club 33, like club two or three. All right. Relax. A couple hours will go by fast. Uh, And, uh, now here's the thing. Now I I tell you what, I was so guilty because I was there. I I wish my son was there. I ended up buying him like half the store, uh, all the stuff. So he's got like all these new cars shirts and cars. He's got a car's watch. He don't even know how to tell time, but I just felt so guilty being there. And I'm like, I should buy him a watch. And, uh, Which he still wears. And so if you ask him, what time is it? Xander, he goes, car's time. So that's his whole whole thing. It's always car's time. And uh, now, but here's the thing. We get this exclusive treatment the whole night. I mean, it was like, I don't even know how I'm going to go back. And like, just be one of the regular people, you know. Like I I was, I was thinking like, maybe I can become a member of this. And then I found out how much it was like, okay, maybe I won't become a member of this uh, because it basically is, it's like buying a house and uh, except you just get to eat dinner. Um, So anyway, but here's the thing, right? It's not like because I'm awesome that I got this extra, this, you know, this treatment. No, it's because there was an appointment and because of who I was connected to, this appointment allowed me a privileged position that I was able to bypass things that people normally want to bypass. You see, the Bible says this, that God has not appointed us to wrath. No, no, no. The wrath that's going to be poured out in the tribulation, that's, we're not appointed to that. We get to bypass all of that. Why? Because of our connection to our Savior. You see, there's a, in the Bible, there's this pattern that we see. Where God removes the godly before He uh, unleashes wrath and judgment. We see this in the book of Genesis, if we want to go all the way back where there's two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And this city is totally corrupt, totally sinful, and totally ripe for God's judgment. And God says, I can't judge them. Why? Because there's one godly family. And so the angels come, and they actually remove this one godly family so that then he can um, judge this, this city. And it's the pattern that God always removes the godly before he pours out his wrath. And before the horrors of the tribulation are unleashed, God is going to rapture his church out of here so he can deal with Israel and he can deal with a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And see, in the same way, listen, God is going to remove his people before the judgment begins. Here's what it says in the last verse on your outline, 2 Peter 2. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment you see when you hear that jesus is coming back i mean what happens in your heart when you hear that i mean if you're excited and you say yes lord i hope it's today listen that speaks of your spiritual condition it speaks that you love the lord and you're looking forward to his return If you hear Jesus is coming back and it fills your heart with fear and anxiety, may I also submit to you that it speaks of a spiritual condition that maybe things aren't right between you and God. And if that's the case, can can I tell you this? That today is the day to make it right. Today is the day to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. Because here's the thing: listen, He loves you. He died for you on a cross. He rose again. And he gives you and I the opportunity to receive the forgiveness that he offers. His love and grace and peace. His mercy. Experience that in our lives. To not only have eternal life. That listen, when you die, and guess what? All of us here are going to, at some point, barring the rapture taking place, all of us will meet our end on planet Earth. And guess what? Not only as believers, we have the promise of an eternity with Him in heaven. And you have that promise too, those of you that want to make that decision to invite Jesus to come into your life. But not just that. It's not just eternal life that He wants to give you. He wants to give you real life starting right now. So that you have this, you can bypass tribulation. You can bypass so many of the mistakes that we make that would hurt us. Instead, God would give us his, his wonderful wisdom to be able to do the right thing and make the right choice. Eternal life and life even right now. How does that happen? It happens by making a decision. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knock. He knocks. And if any man hears him, he can open the door. And he'll come in and dine with us. And, and that in that culture, dining was a picture of fellowship, was a picture of friendship, because the same bread that's nourishing me this is the same bread that's nourishing you. We're becoming one. And this is the very thing that he's saying. I'm knocking at the door. The question is, are you are you willing to open? And in this, you know, it was um, the first 19 years of my life. I didn't know the Lord. And it's now been 20 years since I made that decision. And it's the best decision I could have made in my life. And that God has done a work in me that I never even dreamed that he would do, that he could do. And now looking back, I know that the kind of work that God did in me is the same kind of work that God wants to do in you. That the Bible would say these words, listen, listen carefully, that no man has seen, no eye eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And if you're at the place where Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and knocking, then maybe it's today's the day to open the door. Because you have not even thought about, you haven't even imagined, you haven't even conceived what God has prepared for you. If you invite him into your life. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son who died for us, who offers us life and peace and forgiveness and hope. And God, for those that are here that maybe have never made that decision, they're unsure. When they hear that your son Jesus is coming back, it fills them with fear and anxiety, not with joy and hope. God, may today that change. As those who don't know you, who hear the knocking, would open the door and invite you in. Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed as we're praying together. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor Bob, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what God wants to do in my life. The forgiveness, the peace, the love. Heaven with him, but life right now. Listen, as we're praying together, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you that you might receive the gift of eternal life. And if that's the case, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and pray with you. I see some hands across the room. Blessings to you. I see hands all over this room. God bless you. God bless you. Blessings to you. Hands in the back, hands in the middle, hands on the right side as well. God bless you. That <laughs> You want God to do a work in you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every hand that's raised because it represents a heart that is open and Lord I ask that you would do what only you can do that as they call out to you that you would hear that you would act that you would save them and set them on a path that leads to your kingdom starting right now Jesus' name.